Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Stanford Women's Basketball Podcast from the Stanford Daily. I'm your host, Zach Zaffron, and unfortunately, my co-host, Gavin McDonald, not with us today physically, but I can guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, he's with us in spirit. But in his absence, we have none other than Jabril Taha with us. Jabril is a very involved individual with sports here on campus, staff writer with the Stanford Daily, where he's a co-host of the Stanford Men's Basketball Podcast as well, and a broadcaster with KZSU 90.1 FM Stanford Student Radio. Jabril, welcome to the show. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, the 2021-2022 NCAA women's basketball season is over, and South Carolina is your national champion. Unfortunately, that means Stanford was not, as we all saw last Friday. Stanford fell to UConn in the Final Four, 63-58. to Truly a tough loss to end what was a magical season. And, you know, while Stanford fans, you and I, like are across the country, no doubt recovering from that close loss, it, it's still a wonderful season to recap. And Jabril, you were at the game up in Minneapolis commentating, weren't you? Yeah, it sure was. The atmosphere was pretty electric on the final four day. Pretty much no empty, uh, no empty seats in the uh, in the whole building on the final on the day of the national championship. The entire house was packed. You, it was really really hard to find an empty seat. Uh, it was just electric. It, right when we got up to the booth, we heard the crowd just cheering when uh, they had videos of alumni of these schools giving giving messages of support. It was it was electric from start to finish. It was just a great atmosphere and really cool to see after the pandemic sort of did last year in a very limited setting with only close family and friends allowed to attend. Definitely, definitely. You love to see it. That was Stanford's first, you know, true Final Four environment in quite a few years, right? Because last year during their tournament run, I mean, still had fans in the stadium, but not to the extent that you'd like to see. But nonetheless, facing off against a UConn team that travels well, yeah? Yeah, certainly. I would say in terms of the ranking of fan bases there, South Carolina and UConn seemed pretty even to me. Uh, Then there was a big gap, and then Louisville. And then Stanford uh, was pretty clearly the fourth, as we know, Stanford with a much smaller uh, alumni population, student population, those schools. But uh, yeah, definitely the UConn and South Carolina fans were there uh, in full force. So definitely environment set. And with an environment like that, we, we anticipated a great game and a heavyweight matchup it was, right? We know Tara versus Gino, just such storied tradition there. But UConn winning 63-58. to 58, And I think what you have to first talk about when you talk about that game is those Stanford shooting struggles, especially from outside. Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, in that game, they shot four for 23 from three. Uh, they only had two until late in the fourth quarter. A few of those were near the end of the game. Uh, but yeah, that's 17%. And this is not a new thing. The last They shot terribly from three in Spokane as well. Six for 21 against Maryland, that's 29%. Uh, they were three for 17 against Texas, that's 18%. So they shot about 18% again against UConn, and this time it cost them the game in their season. Well, on the other end, you know, I feel like a real difference maker in the game was UConn's three-point shooting. Specifically, someone that we saw knock down shots early on was Avina Westbrook with three straight threes in a pivotal quarter. What, what did that mean for the game? Yeah, certainly. When you were just looking at that game overall, every time it felt like Stanford might be able to get on a run and start clicking offensively, uh, it was either Avina Westbrook or... Uh, uh, Christian Williams making a ridiculous three-point shot that just slowed the momentum down and really just killed the Cardinals' momentum and just gave UConn the lead. But I it seemed like they were going to make a comeback. UConn hit a clutch shot, 
and Stanford never was able to make that run, and they were one run away from winning this game. Definitely. It was, it was a game of runs, obviously, and a tight game, but when you're facing off against a Utah UConn team that you know boasts so many great players, like you said, Kristen Williams, 10 points, Avina Westbrook, 12 points, and of course, Paige Beckers leading the way with 14 points. Last year's National Player of the Year, but you know, what did the return of her to this team mean, especially at such a pivotal time at coming into the postseason? Yeah, well, I was always, I know on Selection Sunday, the main thing, once it was settled that South Carolina was going to be the one overall, Stanford was going to be the two overall, the main thing I was concerned about was ending up on the opposite side of, bracket, of the bracket is UConn, because this team was finally healthy, and you just knew with Gino and the talent on this roster that they were going to keep getting better and better every game they had together, every week of practice they had together. Uh, you saw the UCF game in their round of 32 matchup that was very, very shaky for UConn on their home court. Uh, they got through that game, and some people were saying they were very vulnerable. Uh, they got through that game, and I was thinking, great, this team now has another week to get everything together and win healthy. And by getting through that double overtime game, they had mm-hmm. another, yet another week to keep getting better and better, finally healthy. And credit to UConn. They played, they played well in this game. They had an excellent defensive effort, and ultimately that, that was enough to win the game, too. It was a pretty ugly game overall. It wasn't very enjoyable, I would think, from a, third, from a neutral perspective. But as a Stanford fan, I was very much into it. Uh, but UConn played a really gritty, gritty game and pulled out a win. No, like you said, Messi, and Messi definitely a way to characterize Stanford's play. You know, you talk about just lack of execution, especially late in the game. You talk about foul trouble, but, you know, those players that we normally see produce, especially in the tournament, and I, I, I want to talk about Lexi Hole. Lexi, 2 for 12, 0 for 4 from deep, 4 points on the day. Came up big at moments. Those 4 points came at an important time, but right Entering as the team's leading scorer in the postseason, leading the charge, I believe, three of the four previous games. What was it that got to her? Yeah, it was just an inconsistent day from her. We've seen this throughout Lexi's career, especially this season. Some days she'll go off for 30-plus points. Other days Mm. she'll put up single digits. Uh, She's always been fairly inconsistent offensively, but she's always been a force in the defensive end. And you got to give credit. I thought Stanford, except for a few moments and those key moments where they left some some good shooters open for three, Stanford played a pretty good defensive game here. And when you're going to look at the score scorecard, you're going to see that Jones had a solid game, although it was pretty inefficient. Brink was Brink was fine too, but got into foul trouble. And then everyone else just had a bad game. Mm-hmm. There was really Stanford looked nothing like they had throughout this entire season. That's why it's kind of hard to be that angry or upset about this game. It's more just sad and disappointing that we didn't get any semblance of the Stanford we've seen throughout these last four months. No, you're absolutely right. That Stanford we've seen in the last four months is just a team full of depth. Any player able to yeah. step up at any time, and that was not what happened. But, you know, all throughout the postseason, Gavin and I, Jabril, we've been talking about Cameron Brink being that X factor. Megan Gower, when she joined us on the show last time, you know, she knew UConn was a good team, but she looked at Cameron Brink and said, Cameron is someone that is a force to be reckoned with when she's on the court. And that's because, Jabril, like you saw out there on Friday night, Cam has some trouble staying on the court. Two quick fouls to start off the fourth quarter when her team needed her most. How much of an impact did that have? Yeah, it was that moment. She did a very good job of it the first three quarters and was had it, had it, well, it was playing well, I thought, at that time. And then it was that one foul on the offensive end of the floor, sort of not, not directly involved. I think it was she was setting a screen for mm-hmm. someone. Yeah, just that, that one, just nightmares. Uh, and then she picks up a foul on the defensive end on the floor right away, and she has four fouls with the whole quarter left. Um, yeah, I would definitely say 
she did a good job the first three quarters, but that, that really, really hurt them in the fourth quarter. And when she came back in near the end of the game, she was doing decently too, but they need, really needed threes at that point. In the right. Game. So it, it, that, that really was a huge momentum killer. Well, needed threes coming from a team that wasn't shooting all that well throughout the game, but they did get them. You know, one from Lacey Wright, one from Ashton Prechtel. Well, what was the end of the game situation? Because, right, like we said, a bit of a slugfest all throughout, but then there was kind of this moment of hope, and it all definitely culminated in that, that two-point deficit after Haley's bucket with, I believe, 26 seconds to go. Yeah, well, Haley Jones was clutch as always right, right. down the stretch. And if we talk about those late, those two late three-pointers, they still went two for ten from deep in that fourth quarter. So, <laughs> so really just those three-pointers at the end sort of softened the blow. It was still really not a good fourth quarter three-point shooting-wise. But yeah, Haley is always, always clutch, and usually it's enough to win the game. She just got no support from anyone else. It was just a bad game across the board. And as I said, Stanford was looked unrecognizable. Definitely. And, and one moment of unrecognizable was Stanford, you know, such a disciplined team, especially with Tara Vanderveer, the NCAA women's winningest coach in Division One history. But that discipline kind of lacked, especially on the press break late in the game, right, leading to easy buckets from UConn. Was, was that kind of the, the thing that sealed the deal, especially late? Yeah, and there was also that weird one where Aaliyah Edwards had the ball for like a good three or four seconds. He's not a great free throw shooter. And they sort of tried to trap her, but couldn't weren't able to foul her either. And she was able to get the ball away to AZ Fudd, who's a lights-out free, uh, free mm-hmm. throw shooter. And I, I know I in the booth was screaming foul from <laughs> Edwards. And they didn't get the foul. And credit to UConn, they nailed all their free throws mm-hmm. down the stretch. And that really put it out of reach in the end. Free throws are a game-changer, especially late in the game. So... UConn advancing to the national championship where they played South Carolina, who advanced against Louisville in the Final Four with a 72-59 to win, right? So that national championship game, South Carolina versus UConn, you have this you know historically dominant program in UConn, I believe 14 straight Final Fours, and entering this game 11-0 in the national championship under Geno. But South Carolina, they have been the number one team all year, and ever since their loss to Stanford in last year's Final Four, they have just played with that chip on their shoulder. What did you see in that national championship game? Uh, South Carolina is the best team in the country when they play their best. Uh, They hadn't been playing their best this tournament. Uh, In that Final Four game, they showed another level that we all expected to see out of them. Uh, And then they showed it again against UConn. Uh, Really, on the boards, this was an absolute dominant performance of South Carolina. 49 rebounds to 24 rebounds. You're not winning many basketball games, if any basketball games, with those numbers. Uh, South Carolina had 21 rebounds on the offensive end. UConn had 18 rebounds on the defensive end. Uh, That's just ridiculous. Uh, This game, as a 15-point win, (laughs) really didn't feel like it. It felt like it was a 20-plus, 25-point victory. Uh, South Carolina was just so dominant, but... Uh, went cold shooting a couple times to keep UConn in the game, but otherwise, a dominant performance from who was the team that was the best team in the country this year, and the best team in the country won. And so South Carolina winning the national championship, 64-49, to right? Best team becomes a national champion. It's quite frankly, in this March Madness format, it's not often you see that, but nonetheless, the Gamecocks prevail. Don Staley, second national championship, and the NCAA women's season is behind us. So, Jabril, obviously this team, reigning national champions from last year, came into the season with 
expectation. I don't know. Would it be fair to call expectations of repeating or just aspirations? You know, how well did they stack up against what they came to the season wanting to do? Uh, the expectations, I think, were about where they finished overall, looking at the whole season. But when you look at the games that were played and how they were playing towards the end, and whatever that twenty-plus game win streak was at the end, uh, and how well they were playing, how good they looked. Uh, they definitely, I think, they, their achievement level should have been getting to that national title game, mm-hmm. uh, getting that opportunity to play a team who they had an 18-point lead on in South Carolina earlier this year, Get some try to get some revenge on a game that they should have won on the road. Uh, so really, I think they underachieved where they should have. Given all the context of the season, mm-hmm. I think they underachieved by one game. Uh, but overall, getting to a Final Four is a fantastic season. Uh, I do think uh, they... they played badly in the NCAA tournament again outside of those two games at Maple. They did mm-hmm. not play well. They, they have three great quarters against Maryland, but a horrific fourth quarter. They didn't play well, I thought, for the majority of the game against Texas, and they didn't play well at all against UConn. And last year uh, in the Final Four and National Championship game, Stanford didn't play too well either. Uh, so really, <laughs> when it comes coming down to it, Stanford was able to get away with it last year because the field was a lot weaker last year. Uh, this year, they ran into a UConn team loaded with talent, and if they were to get through UConn, if they made a few more threes, uh, given the way they were playing, it's hard to expect they would have beaten South Carolina two days later. Right, South Carolina, it begs the question what that rematch would have looked like, especially, you know, Stanford, let's say they beat UConn, then they enter with a 25-game winning streak. You know, a hot team, but at the 25-game win streak, you wonder if there's an asterisk. You have so many close games, especially that that slip-up towards the end of the Pac-12 regular season, you know, nearly losing to Oregon up in Eugene and coming home to close the season against Washington, a team that was second to last yeah. in the Pac-12, tied for last, actually. And I, re- I recall I was on the broadcast on that game, and Washington had a seven-point first half in the week before and you know, nearly losing to them, trailing all game until the final minute. You know, Definitely an up-and-down 25-game win streak, but then hitting the wall against a South Carolina team that, despite you know a loss against Kentucky in the SEC championship, just flat-out looked like the best team in the country. Yeah, and... Really, obviously, we an up and down twenty five game win streak is <laughs> is quite the statement. But of course, they were they played really really well over that win streak. They played really really well all year. Of course, that game against USF in the Bahamas was weird with USF not having a game the day before Stanford coming off back to back game. That was just a weird game. Uh, the Texas game was just Stanford turning the ball over like crazy and going some like four for twenty seven from three or something mm-hmm. ridiculous. Uh, so that was kind of fluky. And you see, even when they did play well against Texas. Uh, they still found a way to win later on in the right. season. Uh, but overall, this Stanford team was a very, very good Stanford team. And they got to the Final Four uh, fairly comfortably. Of course, that Texas team had its problems, but it never really, it didn't really feel like it was ever in too much danger. Uh, this was a great Stanford team, a great year for Stanford basketball, but disappointing they didn't get a chance to repeat their title, especially with all the experience that they had coming back. I really thought they were going to find a way. They always found a way all season. Throughout that 25-game win streak, they found a way. Even when they weren't playing well in the regionals, they found a way. That experience didn't really come through here against UConn, and here they are. Here they are. Definitely, kind of telling uh, that that you call you know Final Four appearance disappointing. It's just a testament to. Yep what this program is and just how successful they have been. Um, but like you said, that experience returning 12 of 13 letter winners from the national championship team last year, but we've said it all year long. We're going to say it again in this season recap. That one player was so pivotal and it kind of set the tone for all those losses that came this season. Obviously it was Keanu Williams who 
graduated last year, exited, went to the WNBA draft, drafted to the Seattle Storm. Now I believe she's playing down in Phoenix. Um, But in her absence, right, you think about that loss to Texas, all those turnovers, just not able to command the floor against the press without Kiana. Um, you know, not initiating the offense when they're in those lulls, shooting struggles from deep without Kiana, get that offense going. Um, However, the experience will just continue to go. So throughout the season, we definitely saw progression of sorts, especially at the guard play. Anna Wilson stepping up in her own offensively. Traditionally, right, she's been this defensive player, but what did did it mean for her to really come to her own on the other side of the court this year? Yeah, she really did for the most part. Obviously, you're not going to see that. Uh, in that game against UConn where she only scored one point. And curiously, only played 16 minutes. We don't know what happened there. Maybe it was a lineup thing for Tark, just trying to get something going or an injury. But back to the overall uh, question. Yeah, Anna Wilson really developed somewhat of a three-point shot. Mm-hmm. She was a legitimate threat from deep, and she was hitting those shots. Uh, Anna Wilson definitely big jump this year. Also, Lacey Hull uh, made a little bit of an offensive jump. Uh, but as you said, those people, they were mostly defensive focused people. And you can't you can't ever like say how important they were on the defensive end right. of the floor. And I think looking to next year, uh, sure, they were inconsistent offensively. And there's someone you couldn't count on double digit scoring. Uh, you could really count on to score double digits. But next year, that, their defensive impact is going to be felt because they kept getting better and better on the defensive end as well, as well over the course of the year. Right. Well, I mean, you look at the exits of this team. Anna Wilson, a six-year guard. Alyssa Jerome, Jordan Hamilton, the grad transfer, and of Lacey Hole, and of course Lexi Hole. Lexi, we talked about her, but her ability to pop off any night, mm-hmm. obviously offensively, that's going to create a scoring void. But defensively too, you had on that All Pac-12 defensive team, Lexi Hole, Anna Wilson, Cameron Brick, and with two of them gone, it makes you wonder who is going to step up defensively next year. Yeah, lots of question marks there. I know we're going to talk about the future outlook in a few minutes here, but definitely their guards are taking a massive hit. That's three of their five starters mm-hmm. there, and Lexi, Lacey, and Anna, and as we'll say in a minute, that Stanford has so much depth that losing three out of five starters, while very, very important, it's not the end of the world. Uh, but yeah, losing three out of five starters still is losing three out of five right. starters. But nonetheless, you know, right, like we said, I'm going to take a look back at the progression of this roster. We'll go top down. That, that junior class, obviously you want to talk about Haley Jones, you know, AP first team All-American, but she somewhat took on a bit of a different role than we saw in last year. And, you know, Tara definitely toying with different people handling the ball, Haley playing that point guard role, especially early on in the season. But what did you see from Haley this season? I thought she was excellent. I thought she was at times inconsistent. There was a big portion in the middle of the season where she was not playing her best basketball. But Mm. even in those rough stretches, she turned it on when it mattered most. Against Oregon, we saw that. We saw this in the NCAA tournament. We saw this against UConn um, when it mattered. Haley Jones was there making key buckets, and she was not at all the reason why we lost against UConn. But Haley Jones, another step forward. She was much more versatile, did ball handling duties at time, but Tara not too happy with that sometimes because Mm. of uh, her turnover. Uh, She's pretty prone to turn the ball over. But we just... Haley's going to need to develop a three-point shot, in my opinion. That's where her next step in her game is going to take. Uh, she did not. She shot 0 for 5 from 3 against UConn, uh, 24.4% on the season for Haley. Uh, that's her next step. If she can take that next step, I think she should be the number two pick probably in WNBA draft of next year. High talent we're talking about. Just one of those players where even though the statistics might not be eye-popping, though they're obviously you know major production there, she's just someone with such a, a feel for the game and yep. command on the court. 
But in addition to her, that recruiting class also brought in Fran Belibi. Remember her in high school throwing it down, and we definitely saw that this year as well. But she did more than just dunk the ball and show off that athleticism this year. I saw huge strides, especially rebounding. Yeah, and we got a lot of chance to see those gigantic strides from Fran because if, if Brink was in foul trouble, Fran was oftentimes the go-to person, and she really shined in her opportunities, and she just looked mm-hmm. so much more comfortable, I think. And like I said, improved her rebounding. Still has room to go improving rebounding, mm-hmm. uh, but Fran, massive steps forward and going to add to this backcourt depth that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Absolutely, and remember her just operating out of the mid-post and really finding... frontcourt depth, sorry. <laughs> no, of course, finding that, that, that comfort level, you know, driving to the basket, and we saw huge plays from with her left hand, I remember distinctly, just left-hand layup after left-hand layup, yeah. which is very uh, a promising thing to see, but someone else who showed major promise, Hannah Jump, the Bay Area native. I, I feel like in Lexi's absence next year we'll see this but again we're talking about this season for now hannah also showing off that ability to pop off at any given moment yeah certainly finishing the year shooting about 40 percent from three 9.3 points a game uh, i think she led the team in three points uh, she took another step forward and the key next year is for can she become a little bit more versatile or can she improve even more of what she's doing because they're going to need we, we losing those three guards they might need a little more than just a three-point role player. Mm-hmm. If, she want, if she wants to have a starting job, she's right. probably going to need to be a little more than just a three-point role player. Right. Obviously made her way in the starting lineup here and there as that three-point specialist. But, you know, she has come away. We've seen a little bit of the floater and the teardrop throughout the year. But just the improved confidence from the beginning of the year to now, especially late in the season. Remember, seeing some deep shots from her with a lot of time on the shot clock and with no hesitation, it's... Some were falling, some weren't, but it was just a really promising sight to see because you know she is capable of knocking them down. But nonetheless, a couple more players to talk about. Jana Van Geitenbeek, the sophomore guard. She played less than her freshman year this year, but she still had big moments, and I think you know exactly what moments I'm talking about, Jabril. Yeah, certainly going off. I think it was against Arizona. She had a ridiculous Mm -hmm. game. Uh, But Jana, for me, is the biggest mystery on this team going into next year. She has a ton of room to grow. We don't see that much of her, but when we do see a good amount of her, uh, she always seems to do pretty well. So right now I have her slotted into my tentative starting lineup for next season. Uh, but yeah, there's lots of competition and she's definitely one of the favorites to emerge there in the starting lineup. Absolutely. And then last, but certainly not least, we saw the emergence of Cameron Brink this year. Certainly some highs and certainly some lows, but what was her progression like throughout this year? Uh, yeah, she was fantastic. I, I think she should have been co-player of the year with Haley Jones in the Pac-12. I thought she was just as effective and I thought she was more consistent than Haley. Uh, this season, but Haley is just a matchup nightmare, so I understand why the coaches would <laughs> give her that award. Uh, but yeah, Cameron Brink, someone who had made big strides this year, uh, I think still struggled with foul trouble, of course, right. throughout the season, but the maturity slowly is getting there on the basketball court, right. uh, and I'm not too concerned about her, and I think she's going to continue to grow and continue to become one of the elite bigs in the nation. I was really, really looking forward to seeing her go against Aaliyah Boston again, and see if she could 
get some of those rebounds that other bigs across the country are failing to get this year. And yeah, I'm disappointed we never got to see that Brink uh Brink Boston matchup in the national championship. Definitely would have been a sight to see, but who knows? Next year has a whole lot to bring, but definitely Brink, you know. I think early on, the beneficiary of the fact that coaches were targeting Haley Jones, we saw her pop off for these these huge scoring games. Remember, a 21.22 rebound performance. There's a string of games where she was just scoring the lights out, especially up in Nassau. Uh, that tournament, you know, she came down with an illness. I believe it was against South Florida, but then multiple 20-point performances there. And then later in the season, the coaches were like, oh, my gosh, we also have to address the fact that Cam Brink is coming to play each and every night. Um, but like you said, the foul trouble, it's an experience thing. And as she gets older, hopefully we'll see more of her on the court. But with that, you know, a team that grew and identified their shortcomings and still made it happen, getting to the Final Four so they say goodbye to Anna Wilson, Alyssa Jerome, Jordan Hamilton, Lexi, and Lacey Hull, but they do welcome the number five recruiting class in the country. Yeah, certainly, and that's ca- and that's led by number one overall, uh, post six seven post player Lauren Betts, who hopefully she's as as advertised. Uh, but I think Stanford fans, if if she's as advertised, should have like Aaliyah Boston, <laughs> not expectations, but hopes for that number one six seven center. Uh, number recruit in the nation that's just fantastic potential here I think next year if she can be I think it's going to be really really hard for Tara to keep her off the court if she's as good as advertised Mm -hmm. Uh, but for me like I think she can definitely be a first team Pac-12 player next year or all Pac-12 player I don't know if they have teams in the women's side Uh, all all Pac-12 yep so my hope for her is that she's an all Pac-12 player next year and when we Look at this. Well, the rest of the recruiting cat, you got uh, number four overall guard in the nation, India Nivar. I think she's in the 20s or high or mm-hmm. high 10s. Uh, and then Talana Lapolo, another point guard. Uh, she's in the 71, I think, by ESPN. So right. really a good recruiting class. I think India Nivar is going to be able to compete for minutes immediately because those guard spots in the starting lineup are so wide open. Right. Uh, and then bets again, it's going to be really, really hard to keep her off the court if she's as good as advertised. Absolutely. So promising, despite, you know, huge players leaving the rotation, we have, you know, major talent coming to the farm next year. And with that, with the improvement of the roster we currently have as well, and the ever-changing landscape of women's college basketball, Jabril, what are your expectations for next year? Uh, I'm expecting about the same. I'm expecting Stanford to make the Final Four. Uh I think they might struggle again early on in the mm-hmm. season just because of the adjustment with losing that uh, losing them defensively. Uh, and Lexi, Lacey, and Anna, uh, they might end up being a little better offensively than they were this year. But as I said, they might have to sacrifice some defense for it. So I'm really interested to see how Tara schedules things. Uh, will we get a return matchup with South Carolina at some point in December in Maples Pavilion? Will uh, they play UConn at some point? That's unlikely, but potentially uh, Texas. Maybe they'll go to te- maybe they go to Austin next year. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see how Tara does this scheduling. Uh, starting lineup-wise, right now my projected five are uh, Jana Van Guidenbeek, then Hannah Jump, then Haley Jones at the three, and then Belibi and Brink at the four and five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're going to see a ton of two bigs lineup, and I think Stanford is the deepest team in the country at the post next year with uh, with Belibi, Brink, uh, Betts, Erie Offen had mm-hmm. a really good freshman season. Uh, so I think no one in the country can even touch Stanford's depth in that position. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of Haley in the three, but it's those two guard positions that are the major question marks, and while they might be better offensively, they're losing a lot on the defensive end. 
So right now, you're looking at South Carolina, in terms of who they match up with naturally, South Carolina getting everyone back, essentially, except for Destiny Henderson. Mm-hmm. UConn getting most of their roster back. I think they lose uh, Nelson Adota and uh, Christian Williams, if mm-hmm. I'm correct. Uh, but still, Fudd, Beckers, uh, Willie, uh, Edwards, oh, Ducharme is going to take another step. And mm-hmm. they both have, and South Carolina and UConn both have very good recruiting classes. Uh, South Carolina has the number two recruit from this <laughs> year to take Destiny Henderson's space if she recovers from an ACL injury. So really, UConn and South Carolina are, being do- are going to be dominant again. Mm-hmm. Stanford, if Lauren Betts is as, 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 as advertised, and Brink and Jones continue to improve, are going to be very, very dominant again. The question is, can they compete with those two other squads? And that's mm-hmm. going to come down to the guard play. So many questions to be answered, but only time can answer them. But, you know, when you're talking about this women's college basketball landscape, right, you do have these giants that traditionally we do see these same teams year in and year out, and Stanford being one of them. It'll be exciting to see what's in store for them with the return of two All-Americans, the number one recruit in the nation, and an ever-evolving roster. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we put an end to this season of the Stanford Women's Basketball Podcast. There it was, Jabril Taha, KZSU broadcaster and Stanford Daily, co-host of the Stanford Men's Basketball Podcast and staff writer, coming at you guys with our help today. Jabril, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thanks for having me, Zach. And ladies and gentlemen, that puts an end to our show. Jabril, you want to join me in our ritual to end this show? We say in Tara, we trust together to close the episode. So on three with the listeners, one, two, three, in Tara, we trust. All right, thank you, folks. You have a good one. Special thanks to Gavin McDonnell and Zach Zafrin for hosting this new series. This episode was produced by Philip Belarjan. I'm Chloe Mendoza, Managing Editor of Podcasts for Volume 261. For more podcasts by the Stanford Daily, visit stanforddaily.com slash category slash podcasts.